0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast, I'm Jerry Thompson, here with me as always is Brian Gottlieb and are y'all ready for the least exciting deck dump of all time?
1: There has to have been a worse one than this, right? Somewhere in our long storied history, we must have gone to see the exciting decks of week one standard or modern, whatever we were doing a deck dump in at the time, and just been soundly and fully disappointed, right?
0: No, because if that were the case, we would have just done a different episode.
1: But we're doing this episode. How did we get to this point?
0: Well, the idea I had was to go through like all the decks and then it was like, well, we can just wait for the new deck list to get posted. Right. And maybe there will be some cool stuff and we can talk about like specifics of the deck list and the new deck dump came out and it was a very large disappointment. But I still want to talk about some of the specifics.
1: Okay, I can get excited about that, even if these decks aren't the most exciting thing. And it seems like a lot of the metagame has mostly stayed static with the release, of course, at 2021, which, by the way, shouldn't really surprise anyone. I mean, we talked a lot about this set being a return to a more reasonable power level. And one of the things I focused on in my writing this week was that... If you're looking for cards here to build new archetypes around, you're mostly going to be disappointed. What you should instead be looking to do is looking for key upgrades and important sideboard cards and ways that existing decks got just a little bit better, because I think that's where a lot of M21's impact is going to be felt.
0: Yeah, well, also we're at a set standard again, right? So very true. Hard to make an impact in a large standard. Yeah, especially when it comes to creating a brand new archetype, especially in a format like this where you mostly have all the boxes checked. You know, like there there are good uh, aggro shells and control shells and mid range shells and stuff like that, and it's it's really difficult for a new card to pop up that just creates an entirely new archetype, especially in a core set where. It's not like Eldraine, right? Where it's like, oh, food is this brand new mechanic that is like going to have a couple decks built around it, right? So overall, that is not necessarily something that you should be disappointed about. And then obviously after rotation, like things are going to change by quite a bit and you will probably please, see a lot of these cards get please, to shine. Please,
1: please change. Please. I'm begging begging you. Please change format. Please change on rotation.
0: It'll change. I promise. What what if what if they they just say, nah, we, we just decide that we're not going to rotate?
1: I don't know what my response to that would be. Honestly, let's not talk about that. That would be a very sad day for me. I'm willing to put a bet out there that the powers that be are as anxious for a rotation as you and I are. and want to put a lot of the stuff behind them and start moving forward in a new direction.
0: I hope so. I hope so. So... Uh, given that not everything showed up in this deck dump and that it is only 10 deck lists and there were 12 decks that I wanted to talk about, after we get through the deck dump, we're just going to talk about the other decks anyway. Love it. So. All right. First up, P-Tarts to win, I believe, is what they're going for. I, I didn't big, know if it big was Pop like- Pop-Tart P- fan. Yeah. I, I, when I first read the screen name a, a long time ago, I've seen the screen name all over the place. I thought it was like P-T-Arts to win. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now looking at like Pop Tarts makes more sense.
1: You're a Pop Tart fan?
0: I don't know that I've ever had a Pop Tart, actually.
1: That fits. Actually, that's exactly what <laughs> I, bo- I would have expected you to f- have that answer
0: 100%. Anyway, they are playing mono red aggro, zero new cards. Not a ton to talk about there, but week zero of a new format playing mono red, basically always a good choice.
1: I agree. And I've actually seen zero new cards, mono red, uh, pick up some results in other places. I think it did very well in like an SCG qualifier. So there's, there's nothing wrong with just taking the best red cards and putting them together. I will say, I think there is a good red card in M21 that hasn't gotten as much play as maybe I expected it to. Why are these names so hard to pronounce? I want to talk about Sibira, Tolzidi Caravaner. And I'm pretty sure I made it through that safely. Uh, two colorless, one red. Haste, one colorless. Another target creature with power two or less can't be blocked this turn. One colorless red. Tap, discard your hand until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control with power two or less deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. It's a 2-3. I think this card actually answers some problems for mono red. And I'm not saying you rebuild the deck around it. But as a sideboard card, I have been a pretty big fan of Subira. Uh, It pushes through damage against the decks, which are able to produce some very large, very substantial blockers right now. Uh, And also can function as a little bit of a refresh. It's expensive. It's slow to do the refresh thing, but it happens from time to time. And I have been pretty pleased with this card. Other than that, though, I agree with the decision to mostly stand pat and mono red.
0: Yeah, I agree. I also think that that card is worth looking into, certainly as a sideboard option, but maybe even like a couple copies main deck. I don't think that that's the worst thing. I mean, So much of this deck is made up of things just like grim initiates and whatnot, where if you don't draw your heavy hitting cards, you are definitely in a lot of trouble. So having something like Sabira to get in some damage in the mid game, get you closer to actually finding Embercleave to, to close out the game makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Maybe, maybe it'll go to the main deck. I think it has some very specific roles it's supposed to play. And the power level, generally speaking, is on the lower end, especially for an eight set standard. But it wouldn't surprise me as there is more and ro- more and more rotation. We see more of Subira. I think this card's quite strong.
0: Yep. Our uh, next deck is from Casa, and they are playing Jund Food with a couple Scavenging Oozes and a couple Solemn Simulacrums. So I
1: hadn't thought much about Solemn in this deck. Obviously, oh. there was a time when we were doing the Beanstalk Giant stuff. Uh, this is a deck that benefits from having access to more mana have you played with solemn simulacrum in this deck at all
0: uh i haven't but i envisioned putting it in this deck and i was pretty excited about it like it it works very well with witch's oven where you know sometimes you you just like can't find a way to kill this thing right and you have uh, a couple copies of priest forgotten gods in this deck too and this is a deck that Definitely, for the most part, it has, like, a very low mana curve, but as the game goes on, you still have plenty of ways to use your mana with trailer crumbs and even, like, building towards things like Corvold and everything, so solm is just sort of, like, the perfect card for this sort of deck.
1: This is another spot, too, where I think Scavenging Ooze really shines. You and I talked a bunch about how there's no real mid range in the format, and kind of just glossed over this deck as a potential home for Ooze. I think, again, you're answering some very specific problems that this deck had previously. Ooze... Very versatile card in this format. Containing Uro is just one part of it, but a very, very big part of it, especially for the John archetype.
0: Well, I mean, the the next deck too, P-O-K-I-L-M-1, I don't know, Pokilm, if that's a thing. Uh, is that like another breakfast treat that I have not tried?
1: Not that I have had, but it does sound kind of like maybe Eastern European-ish breakfast dish. I, I'd eat some Pokilm.
0: Okay, cool. Tell me, Tell me how it is. <laughs> As long as it's uh, anyway, vegetarian,
1: that's the only requirement.
0: Right, right, of course. Uh, so this is Racto Sacrifice. Pretty standard-faring things, except now with Village rights and uh, a lot of Call of the Death Dwellers. Seen a, a lot more of that card. No Archfiend's Vessel either.
1: What do you think about that? Because I have to say, we had Archfiend's Vessel on our top 10 list that we put together as I played these past couple weeks. Kind of off it, I have to say. It feels like a win more in a lot of scenarios. The impact of the 5-5 is not what I thought it would be. And I I like the way this deck is built. I still think Call of the Death Dweller is a very fine magic card. And that's one of the reasons I was so high on Archfiend's Vessel. Because I'm like, well, I want to play Call anyway. And it seems like very little cost to just play this card in addition. But it hasn't actually worked out that way in practice. Meanwhile, Village Writes, this card is gas.
0: Is it? So you you remember what I said about this card, right? Where generally these decks are like trying to actually build to the board and then rights would be like the last card that you cast out of your hand or whatever. Is like, it played out like that or you just like, yeah, whatever. I'll just, you know, sack my cat on turn two and, you know, set up for the following turns.
1: I think it speaks back to the idea of just Making sure your deck gets to do its powerful thing. And like this, this is small ball in the moment. Like getting the small edge of a village right sacrifice when you're going to lose a creature to, you know, removal or just cashing something in doesn't seem like it should matter. And in a vacuum, it really doesn't all that much, but it is moving you ever closer to having all your stuff together. And this deck, maybe more than any deck in the format, benefits from having its stuff together. When you have your priest, you have your mayhem devil, you have your wolf strider. It's challenging to lose the game, and Village Rights is just assuring you keep the gas coming. I think it's a good foundational piece for these decks, and I have noticed its absence when I've tried to cut it from my list, is what I will say.
0: Okay. Uh, Also worth noting that this deck is utilizing Gigantha as a companion. And we were talking before the show about my experience playing Modern this week, where one of the archetypes I faced against was Mardu Dog's. And the thing I forgot to tell you was that they had Jagantha as their companion.
1: Beautiful deck building. Whoever's out there tuning this Mardu dogs list, just flawless. I love it. Keep doing what you're doing. I'd like seeing free Giganthas pop up. Now that it's sufficiently nerfed. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't a big fan of it before. But it's cute when you're able to just pick up that Gigantha at very little cost.
0: Does it does it do anything though? That's that's the thing that I like. Obviously, modern is slightly different, but they definitely never put that card in their hand.
1: Uh, the opportunity cost is so low. I mean, that was the whole thing with companions from top to bottom is that you weren't giving up much for it. And a potential eighth card in your hand is worth so much more than your 15th sideboard card. That is the one thing. If you remain on the fence about everything that went down with companions, I think that argument was one authoritatively an eighth card, almost no matter how bad it is, is worth way more than your 15th sideboard card. I
0: mean, if, if the games actually play out in such a way where that eighth card actually does something, but I don't
1: know. But what percentage of games have to play play out in that fashion? Not that many. Just having those one in 10 games where Giganta was there, I think is worth more than the 15th sideboard
0: card. I don't know. It's it's a five-man, a five-five, mana 5 5 man i am not that excited about it. I don't know what to tell you. Uh,
1: his, history is not kind to you on this point, Gerald. I have to say. I it.
0: understand. I get it. I generally like being on the right side of history, too. So. I'm also go. very steadfast at rallying against the, like, the consensus when I believe the consensus is wrong. And I feel like my track record has won that fight enough times that I, I don't automatically just like buy into whatever the consensus feels.
1: No, that's, that's great. I, you shouldn't. And I think that's why people are here. They want to hear your takes. They want to hear how you view things differently. I just think you're wrong this time. But that's I'm still glad you made the argument and put it out there.
0: All right, I'm going on the record. Gigantha is not playable. Okay. In these decks, in these decks, in any sort of like, I don't know, especially this deck, it's like you, you again, like these decks don't really run out of gas. Like you have Woast rider, this deck specifically has a bunch of copies of like Midnight Reaper and Village Rights. It just it doesn't I don't get it. Anyway, I'm off it. It's all I'm going to say.
1: Okay. I will let you move on to the next deck because I feel like this will put a smile on your face. Just just the pilot's name here will do something for you.
0: Underscore Meow Face. Big Meow Face. That is a gassy screen name. Is it Spells, I guess? Uh, is it? Yes. Sp- okay. So spray, Sprite Dragon, Stormwing Entity, alongside things like Opt and Shock and all these... Cheap spells. You have Dreadhorde Arcanist. You have Infuriate to pump the Dreadhorde Arcanist, which allows you to flashback, see the truth, which allows you to just go off.
1: Okay. Here's here's what I'm going to say about these decks. I is like this, is
0: this deck Is this deck better or worse than having a Giganta on your sideboard?
1: Uh, it's, it's just got to be worse. Everyone knows Giganta's busted. Oh my God. No, I, I like these decks. They're cool. They are abstractly powerful. It's nice that they got some support with the release of the set. At the same time, I, I don't think they line up well with the format whatsoever. Now, this particular build is more aggressive than most of the blue red spells matter decks I've seen thus far. Things with like riddle form and other prowess creatures. So I like that. At least you have a game plan here where you're like, I'm going to end things before they get out of hand from my banned opponents or my junned opponents. Inferior, that goes good. a long way. Yeah, it it does. So I, I like this particular mode of deck building. But at the same time, this deck just reminds me of so many problems that is it Phoenix had where you've given up your clock. You can no longer meaningfully close the game in like the first five or six turns unless your draws are really strong. And you're giving up a strong reason to play blue, which is disruption, because all of your stuff requires you to operate basically at sorcery speed. So it's really hard for you to hold up mana. And I think what you're left with is just a really nice idea, a really abstractly powerful approach to magic that would succeed in most metagames and just falls completely flat for what Standard is presently about.
0: I mostly believe you. I believe that that is the case. I agree that like you can't afford to play the Disruption because you need a bunch of proactive spells in your deck to be doing things like Stormwing Entity and Horror Arcanist, which is a big strike against this. It's just like a fatal flaw in Mm -hmm. this sort of archetype, which sticks because you would love to be able to main deck like Mystical Dispute or Negate or uh, the Flying Counterspell. I forget the name, but that card's busted. So I don't know. I I think that a deck like this looks good on paper, but I basically agree with you where it just doesn't line up really against what everyone else is doing. But this sort of list where you have Arcanist, Infuriate, See the Truth, I think has... Like it's not playing a fair game. It's not trying to play a fair game. It's trying to do like kind of kind of busted stuff, which then allows it to be on par with the rest of uh, the format, which I think is a step in the right direction.
1: I I am not sure that trying to do those things actually lets you keep pace with the rest of the format. That's really where my sticking point lies. Yeah, because I agree, otherwise I agree. I'm fine. I'm fine with taking the middle ground. I think that's cool. Where you still have like a reasonable late game. I think just it just falls too short for me. It's not close enough to what the larger decks are doing in this format. I mean, Ugin is a large part of the problem. That's a huge squeeze on trying to keep up with an end game where they just have a single card that can invalidate everything that you're doing. Storming Entity is a cool card. I am happy to see that getting in the mix. I've been pretty impressed with it, honestly. I've seen it see some play in Legacy, which makes a degree of sense to me. It seems fine there as like a new blue threat.
0: Bring back Gataxian Probe. Yeah, this card would be real good with
1: Gataxian Probe. I, I've mostly seen it alongside Gutshot thus far in almost mono blue lists. And Love I thought that it. was pretty cool. Yeah, Love I thought that it. was a pretty cool approach. So I am... Into this card, Storming Entity, very, very high on my playables list. But I just don't think the strategy is there yet. Still respect what we're trying to do here, though.
0: Yeah, four four copies of Stonecoil Serpent in this deck, too. So that's the attempt to get around the Ugin problem, I suppose, which is not great. It's a very, very clunky solution.
1: Yeah, a lot of decks going this route. And I understand why. It's often the best tool available, but I think it's just not good enough for the most part.
0: Next up, H Cook seven uh, twenty five. I believe we're calling this Paw Blade. Is it's what the kids are calling it? So this is cute
1: name. I love the name.
0: I hate it. This is Boros Agro, A couple copies of Winota. A lot of copies of Embercleave at the top end. Alpine Houndmaster to search for some friends, which is where the the paw comes in. And like like it's it's just so bad that we have to. Play things like Gingerbread. You know, it's like, oh, this, I guess, is the best one drop we have. All right, let's do it.
1: Yeah. So I started to see these decks circulate last week sometime. Seems like a really neat idea. You understand the appeal of a card like Alpine and Houndmaster because you have some historical precedent with Squadron Hawk, which we're obviously referring to here. But this is not Squadron Hawk and ignores a lot of the context that actually made Squadron Hawk good and the fact that it gets you a bunch of two drops when you're really just an Embercleave deck, like that's the only card that actually matters in this deck. notice sometimes as well, and I am happy to see that card has been added to the mix. The earlier decks were trying to stay a little bit more fair. Winota is a step in the right direction for this archetype. But just as it sits right now, I don't think I believe that you're going to benefit enough from Alpine Houndmaster to have alpine watchdogs and igneous Curs in your deck i just think that's an unforgivable sin and there
0: are, I, there are seasoned hollow blades i think yeah. that does matter
1: yeah i like that card a lot by the way that card has really impressed me
0: yeah that card's great but it, it just means that if you have these extra resources discarding the hollow blade is a non-issue for the most part sure. and you just get to keep attacking and they have to keep blocking and your thing doesn't die
1: It's nice. It's a nice little synergy in the same way, you know, these dogs power up Winota. They are theoretically powering up Embercleave as the games go long. Again, it just feels like another deck where there's a solid plan. Obviously, this is like the intended use of this card. And I think this is what was envisioned for this card to maybe possibly do in standard is like an outlier chance. But the barriers to entry are just too big and... It's not particularly fast. It doesn't have any particular ability to go long. And at some point your opponent will play an Ugin and your day is ruined.
0: Yeah. I like Monterey better than this deck.
1: Right there with you.
0: Next deck is by Luka Daki. And this is a uh, Saltai ramp. A lot of four ofs, 28 lands, Nissa Ugin, Arboreal Grazer, Hydroid Graces, Uro, Casualties of War, Cultivate, Grow Spiral. I've seen some versions of this deck with, E2 Extinction, I think, is the name. The Black Sweeper.
1: Yep. Uh, and, no, that's the spot removal spell is E2 Extinction.
0: Oh, yeah. What's What's the... Choose order? even. Extinction something. I don't know. Extinction oh, Event. There you go. Sure. Uh, that Maybe. one.
1: Might <laughs> not even be right.
0: Uh, I saw Nick Prince streaming, I think, what was this exact deck a little bit. And... The first thing I noticed about it was that there are eight basics with four cultivates and four fabled passage, and I don't think that's enough.
1: Not enough. No, you're going to run out. And it actually brings me to my next point about this deck and something that I spent some time working on this week. Is Casualties of War actually good right now? No. Okay. That's, that's where I'm coming from as well.
0: Has it ever been? There was a slight window where it was actually very, very good.
1: Yeah, I think there was a moment where like Jund Mirrors were very important and Casualties of War was a legitimate trump. So it had a moment. I don't think that moment is now. And that means this deck doesn't have much incentive to be black. You could still make the case for Thought Distortion. That's a real card. I like that out of the sideboard. But on the whole, I would rather go at this with like a very streamlined blue-green approach and maybe slot a little Karn in that Casualties of War slot. I worked on a deck like that this week. Uh, it seemed good. It seemed close. I was kind of figuring out the numbers and the appropriate targets for Karn. But it fixes the problem of not having enough basics. It also has an angle that actually matters against some other decks. You can proactively get your sorcerer Spyglasses. I had a bunch of six mana Ugins in my deck as well, which plays well when you go to Karn. Also yeah, and that, sure that card's Ugin. solid. Yeah, so I, I would look to go in that direction more with this approach. But the streamlined just hardcore... Ramp into Ugin—that's a real thing, a very real deck, and it is a—it's a huge limiting factor on the format. Probably the biggest, biggest limiting factor on the format.
0: What was the second spiciest card that you could carn for?
1: May have to actually open arena to get you this one.
0: I don't want—I don't want you to do that. Don't worry about it.
1: Maze Mind Tome was my favorite card to carn for. That card was. Awesome. Out of the sideboard. Anytime you like petered out and didn't have real options, I was very happy to go get a Maze
0: Mind Tome. Love to see it.
1: Yeah. I had like, you know, Solemn, Simulacrum, all, all the stuff you would expect. There was a uh, Stone Coil Serpent. There was Soul Guide Lantern, Shadow Spear, all the typical Karn stuff.
0: God Pharaoh Statue?
1: Didn't have a God Pharaoh Statue. That's an interesting one, though. I have to think about that. Great Hench? No great henge. I I just didn't think that would come up all that often. Oh, so my answer to your, to your question is probably uh, Spark Hunter mastercore Okay. And that card is only good against Ugin, basically. But yeah. it came up a bunch where that was the correct thing to go get.
0: No, I, I could see Karn for that card actually being relevant. That, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, that was good. Have seen basically zero of that card, though, in like all deck lists. So
1: I don't think it's good straight up. It just kind of folds to a lot of different cards, but it can answer some very real problems, especially when you have access to preposterous amounts of mana. You can just go clear out your bent opponent's battlefield pretty hard.
0: Yep, that that was basically the situation I was envisioning too. And then Karn uh, just preemptively shuts off your opponent's witches Ovens, which is also nice.
1: Yeah, very nice.
0: Next deck, Justin Lieberman. Uh, another Is It Spells deck. This one going as low as Terramander. Also has some Crackling Drakes. No Dreadhorde arcanist. See the truth, nonsense. This one is just you know, crash through, scorching dragon fire. Thrill the pos- thrill a possibility to discard frantic inventory, or at least the first one, hopefully.
1: This deck doesn't do anything well. I, I'm sorry. I I'm proud of you, Justin, for getting these five wins, but I, I don't see an angle for this deck to attack from. It is not fast. It doesn't have any reasonable long game. It has no like. It, it doesn't even have like explosive setups where you get lucky and put a bunch of Light Phoenixes into the graveyard. It's just right. this weird, very, very fair blue-red deck that can't actually disrupt its opponents in pre-sideboard games. So I don't think you have a lot of favorable game ones with this deck. I'm sure things get better post-board when you get your Aethergusts and Mystical Disputes, but it just seems like you could do something else and there's no real reason to take this approach.
0: We'll agree. Next deck is from Lucas Giggs, 20 Forests four castle gear and Briggs pilot creatures, some Vivian arc Rangers and great Henges. uh Three copies of scavengers.
1: The Cedric Phillips special. We like yeah. to call this one.
0: God, he loves we this know,
1: deck. We know how we feel about Cedric Phillips deck selection here on the arena Decklist podcast. I actually think this one is pretty good though. Have you played any mono green aggro yet? No, it's got some sticking power. Uh, I think, There's a bunch of cards in it that line up pretty well against the format. Scavenger News is good. Questing Beast is nice against a bunch of Planeswalkers. The Clock is better than the other stuff we've talked about that kind of floats a little bit to the middle. But this deck can also go surprisingly long too and good disruptive elements with Gem Razor. Uh, Primal Might has been a really, really strong answer out of the sideboard for opposing creatures. So I've been impressed with that card. Uh, and scavenger news continues to overperform, so I don't hate this deck. If you want to attack right now, I'd I'd do it this way. This is my favorite way to be aggressive in standard presently.
0: But what about the Surfarin nonsense? Don't actually answer that. Don't I know answer. it's we'll adorable.
1: I know you love it, but it's it's a little gimmicky, and you can just play good cards instead.
0: Yeah. Uh, next deck is my favorite: the Purple Mage Simic Flash. Making good use of lofty denial and rewind is—is is this like the Louis Wee deck?
1: I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure. Uh, I I do like this deck as well, though.
0: Yeah, I just heard people like talking about that deck, but I never actually looked at the list. But gilded goose as a surprise yeah. lofty denial enabler. Yep. Rewind is a night pack ambusher. Spectral sailor to go with rewind. Shark typhoon is another thing that enables lofty denial. So overall. I like this mix of cards a lot. Yeah.
1: So Yeoman was on our show last week talking about how much he liked Lofty Denial. I totally agree. I spent a bunch of time this week working on Lofty Denial decks. I love the Gilded Goose-Lofty Denial combination. Not one I had on my radar at first, but it makes a bunch of sense. And like you pointed out, you don't really have to work that hard to make your Lofty Denials good. It's fine in the early game and then it appropriately scales into the late game and that's what was missing from this counter spell slot previously bunch of counter magic here a very reasonable clock tiniest bit of acceleration in gilded goose which i do think is an important element for this deck uh, i like this deck a lot too seems quite good i don't know about four shark typhoon that's the only thing that raises my eyebrow a little bit i'm not sure you have to go that far but I don't know, 27 lands, Growth Spiral, Gilded Goose. You probably get up to a reasonable size on Shark Typhoon quickly enough that you're always happy to draw it any time past the first couple turns. So dude, it's, it's
0: dope with Rewind. You just keep hammering them every turn.
1: Yeah, you, you put people in the squeeze with this deck. And if you've listened to us here, you know I love putting people in the squeeze. I love taking away all good choices. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, a lot of times against this deck.
0: Love a good squeeze.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Last deck. Very very quick deck dump. El Elio?
1: Okay. Elialo. Not gonna try.
0: When Magic Online exports all the deck lists, they just post all the names in caps, and now Magic Online doesn't allow for spaces anymore. Like you can still do underscores and stuff, but it makes these screen names really difficult to figure out what people are actually going for.
1: It has completely complicated our job, but I assume getting back the appropriate capitalization into these names could literally bring the entire infrastructure of Wizards websites to
0: its knees. <laughs> Likely. So we got them We're to not going to
1: take the chance.
0: We got them to stop posting the decklist in Russian.
1: Yes, that was a big upgrade and I don't want to press my luck. So just go ahead and leave them all caps in the time being.
0: Yeah, I just want to give- you know, props to the people, but it's tough when they
1: know just, we're trying, they yeah. know we're doing our best.
0: Gruel, Terror of the Peaks, Scavenging Ooze, Garrick Unleashed, Primal Might. There's some new cards here, mostly things that we thought were going to help mono green, but then also got some Terror of the Peaks action. So this is this is the type of deck that people like to have exist. So I'm happy that it does.
1: That's a very diplomatic way of saying this deck is probably not very good.
0: It's I got like, a lot of powerful monsters, but it's very it similar does. to Simic where I, I, or not Simic, is it, where it doesn't really line up with what a lot of people are doing.
1: Yeah, it's it's a mid-range aggressive deck and it's really hard to go that route right now. I like a lot of the cards included in this deck. I like Rada quite a bit. I hope that card finds a home at some point. It seems weird that it wouldn't. I think it is powerful enough as, I mean, it's doing what it's supposed to do here. This is the type of deck that is envisioned as a good home for Rada, it's just hard to play this type of magic right now, which is a recurring theme. And it's a theme because of two decks, which oddly enough are not anywhere to be seen in this
0: entire deck dump. I guess they're bad because neither of them five owed or alternative tinfoil hat theory is that people wanted to try out new cards. And yeah, that that's is also awesome, my guess. <laughs> that's why they did not play Bant or Team Arrec. Uh, I still think that those are the two best decks and, with the new set coming out and people trying all these new things, at no point have people been like, oh, these decks are dead, like Bans and Team Wreck are dead. All people have been saying is like, oh, you know, like Mono Black Aggro looks really good or Simic Flash looks really good or like look at this Boros deck that I 5-0'd with or whatever. And that is mostly what is going to happen in the beginning weeks when people try and figure out all the new cards. But like it doesn't mean that those are the best decks in the format or will be the best decks in the right. format. It's just like, oh, those these are the things that we found actually do work with the new set.
1: Yes. The first two weeks are about finding new archetypes with potential, not trying to prove you have found the new best deck. Sometimes things develop to that point and you know we've ride that deck until it fades away. But if your goal right now is to win magic tournaments, it's team record record in my eyes and none of these decks have quite gotten there yet. Another new deck that is missing from this dump, Witch sitting at number one on the arena ladder right now. I know you're a huge Witch fan and you're a huge fan of the archetype you used to get there, Mono Black Aggro.
0: Yeah, doing things a little bit differently than I proposed in my article. Just said, screw Murderous Rider, screw kite sail Freebooter, just play Mono Giant Creatures. I had four Spawn of Mayhem, four Rotting Regisaur, four Demonic Embrace, and was just clowning people. Basically just like no no disruption and uh, played a bunch of two mana removal, Eliminate and Grasp of Darkness instead of Murderous mm-hmm. Rider, which is also legit. I kind of felt like for a while, like Murderous Rider was, like anytime I tried to cut it because it's a little clunky and like the body doesn't matter all that much, I just inevitably found my way back to like putting them back in my deck. And I think now is finally the time where we have enough good removal at two and even one mana where you can justify cutting that card. And again, like the two, three body, not that excited about it. I'm not that excited about Jagantha. I'm not that excited about like the back half of murderous rider either. That should probably not be a whole lot of surprise, but rider is a, like a life linking body for demonic embrace. So that was kind of one of the reasons I kept it, but I like what witch did with the deck a lot.
1: Can you imagine going back to like Ravnica allegiance era magic and being shown murderous rider? And then being told, "Yeah, this card's just not good enough to see any play whatsoever."
0: Well, it's also contextual of the format.
1: It it, it always is, but that is a context. It would have been very challenging for me to wrap my head around at the time.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've we've gotten there. Uh, well, again, we'll see what happens after rotation. Uh, it might the format might go back to being like a little bit more mid rangey, a little bit more grindy, and then Murderous Rider can shine again. But yeah, for right now, it just really doesn't matter. You prefer the efficiency. And what which was doing was very much just, I'm going to run you out of answers and I will stick the last big thing and I'll kill you with it. And I think that that's more of a fine plan than trying to hedge with the grindy elements from Murderous Rider and like this disruptive elements from Kite sail Rebooter and stuff. I think Witch just did it correctly.
1: Sure. Big, linear, powerful approach to week one. Really like it. Speaking of big and powerful, there is these Bant decks, which I I don't know about you. In general, I lean towards more controlling mid-range-ish ways of playing magic. So you would think that a format defined by Bant and five mana enchantments that kind of produce your threats in perpetuity and let you loop your Planeswalkers would be right up my alley, and exactly what I want to do. I hate playing with and against this deck more than any deck I remember in the history of Magic, actually. It's that bad for me. Like, I think the play experience is so finicky in a way that I don't enjoy, and so just routinely boring that I've never felt anything like this in my time with Magic, especially in this style of deck i find love in the long game and ways to grind out advantages and there's just something here that completely turns me off like i said both playing with and against this deck so so over it
0: yeah i i think you kind of nailed it with finicky where it is just a bunch of like tiny small decisions that may or may not ultimately matter but I don't know. I see you, you- got to make them
1: though. You can't, you can't pass right. on them.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, but I, I see you more of a, a person who's like, you know, just like, I want to spend my turn, like casting my wrath of God or whatever. It's just like, that is so much simpler than what this band deck is trying to do. You know?
1: Yeah. And it certainly speaks to like my faults as a player. I'm not trying to brush those aside, but at the same time, it's, you have to be cognizant of ways of playing the game and how many people are really getting like the, Pure Bant experience. How many people are wrestling enjoyment from those micro decisions? There's some, and I wouldn't surprise me if they're just like the best players in the world. Absolutely. Those are the people who should enjoy this type of finicky interaction. But you're just doing a lot of small stuff at the expense of long term game planning and actually like planning towards a turn or a, I guess, like a meaningful point. Of rotation for the game. like A lot of times when I'm playing control, it's all about, okay, I'm going to set up this point and that's when I can start turning the corner and eventually win this game. It's so uncertain with ban. It's just like, play this big thing, play this big thing, do it in an optimal fashion, see how these advantages start to accumulate. And then maybe at some point I can find a window to start winning this game. But in the meantime, I'll just keep taking all this value and that's all I have to do.
0: Yeah. And then hopefully that actually translates to something or at some point your your opponent like draws their sixth land and says go and you're like okay i guess i'm winning now yep. you know <laughs> like yep. there's there's no real coherence to any of it and a lot of it is just crossing your fingers and hoping that it all works out and yeah all of your cards like give you an extra life or whatever <laughs> and just eventually that has to add up to something meaningful
1: yeah, so that's the end of my complaint session. I don't want to do any more of that, but why don't we talk about what these band decks look like right now? Do you have a way forward for this archetype that you like above others? Uh, we talked a little bit at the end of last week's podcast about... Uh, I really don't want to keep pronouncing this card because it's so hard for me for some reason. Joel Real, Moan Vuli Recluse. That is a new feature of a lot of these decks. And some people going hard on this card with multiple copies. Have you been impressed either with or against... Joel Rail thus far.
0: I, I think Joel Rail is solid, and it's possible that like normal Bant is not the optimal home for this. It's not like you take a Bant right. deck and then just jam Joel Rail in it. You probably start with Joel Rail and build from there. And it's it's weird because the the vast majority of Bant deck lists I've seen thus far have mostly just been the old version. Like you don't see a lot of people working to incorporate things like Cultivate, Solemn, Ugin, and even now like Jewel Rail is like just starting to slide into those decks. So there's, there's going to be this experimental period where, you know, people are trying to figure out how all the new cards fit together and what they can do with them. And then you'll start seeing like actual tuned deck lists come out of this, but Jewel Rail is good. I just, I don't know. it doesn't really seem to fit into Bant's plan, even though it kind of does. I don't know. It's weird.
1: It's been my experience playing with it as well. I've appreciated the card, but at the same time, it it just fits into the same thing as every other part of Bant, where it's like, okay, I've got some value here. Like Maybe I'm pressuring a Planeswalker better because I have this card, but it's not actually shaping my game plan in a meaningful way. It's just more of the same. So maybe I was looking for something a little bit more than that. What is shaping game plans is Ugin. That's the de facto end game now, 100%. We talked a lot during preview season about this, like being a good place to go. Has it played out that way for you? I know there's a lot of people out there kind of moaning about Ugin. I, I guess I say <laughs> not it's, really thrilled to play against it.
0: It is very strong and it happens very quickly. Very quickly. P- poss- possibly like a turn too quick. So that's mostly the problem with it. I I think, you want something in a format to punish people for doing the band sort of things where you're like, I'm going to gain small edges until I bury you or whatever. And it's like, no, you need something like team Iraq to punish them, to just explode their face and have the game end, or like, Ugin going to come down and kill all their permanents and just make them think twice about actually doing that sort of strategy and like forcing them to either play more controlling or more proactive and, the, the proactive game plan, I kind of like a little bit more. I think I would much rather see people going like the Joel rail route than trying to slow the game down even more just because I think it's uh, like fundamentally more correct. But we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, I, for the most part, this format just features a wide variety of long game cards that yeah. are much stronger than the early game cards. So it wouldn't surprise me if that sort of game plan just ended up being better, but I don't know. I mean, Ugin, it's very good. It places a lot of restrictions on the format for the most part. I think those are good ones.
1: Mostly there with you. I, I think you're right that it's appearing a touch too early for my tastes. Maybe once Growth Spiral leaves the format, we get back to a place where it's appearing at an appropriate And time. Grazer. And Grazer. we can. There is still two mana acceleration available. Well, what is- Wolf Willow Haven is out there.
0: Yeah, but it's it's really medium.
1: It is, and it also does not play well with Ugin. We should note so
0: sort of. I mean, if, if uh, it, it doesn't work with Ugin the same way Grazer doesn't work with Ugin, right? It's like Grazer right. kind of like does its job to Dark Ritual you out to it, and Haven does the same thing.
1: Yeah. Well, also, there's a new set coming before any of this happens, so who knows what is in there? I'm not going to speculate about the shape of Ramp come next set release. What is the next set called, by the way? Is that a return to Zendikar again?
0: Uh, I was I was thinking about that while you were talking. And you now that you say Zendikar, that that sounds right to me.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is something Zendikar-ish.
0: Because we we had like a lineup of things that were coming out, and I think it was like Theros, Ikoria, Corset. Zendikar. And then that was the last we knew.
1: That seems correct to me. All right. We'll see what happens when that comes. What else did I want to check in on? How do you feel about our number one pick for M21? It was of course Teferi. Have you been impressed with that card in practice? I I actually think it has shown up thus far. And you talk about rebuilding Bant. I think that's a big part of a successful Bant rebuild is more focus on Teferi as well. Because like I said, you cast that card once and then you were like, okay, I get this now. It is a huge, huge upgrade to the four mana Planeswalker slot, protects itself very well and just moves through your deck so, so quickly.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. It It is kind of weird where I haven't seen it show up in a ton of decks, but also it doesn't lend itself to just being put in a lot of decks. And also there are new things like rewind that encourage the exact opposite sort of game plan and play patterns. So I understand why not a ton of people have been playing it, but I I still believe that it's going to show up in Mass.
1: Yeah, it's just a matter of time. And When you have the card in play, you understand how impressive it is very quickly. So I was was happy we got that one right. It's always nice to get one in our holster. And I do feel like we got the correct new card for the number one slot in M21.
0: Lofty Denial is the one where it's like, yeah, that should have been top five. I I normally feel like with those cards where it's like, okay, I, I want to build around this and see what we can do. And I normally leave that as sort of like the honorable mention type thing because mm-hmm. it'll it'll show up like in one spot or whatever. and It'll be great there, you know, but it's, it's never like this format-defining card. And I feel like Lofty Denial is basically going to be format-defining.
1: Yeah, it took me a little bit longer to come around on that one. And honestly, if we had come together to make our list and you had that, I probably would have been fighting you. Uh, now I agree with you, though, 100%. This card has really impressed.
0: Well, one, once you look at it like you don't have to go hard on it. You you can just splash it with like Borrower and Shark Typhoon. Then it's like, oh, yeah, this, this card's kind of messed up because those cards already helped form cores of very solid decks, you know? Yep. The requirements are much lighter
1: than I first suspected.
0: Uh, how do you feel about things like Mono Black and their longevity? Like which is or was as of like yesterday sitting at number one with the deck? and presumably that's going to increase the amount that people are playing it but like how do you feel about that long term
1: uh, i i just don't know that i buy it because you just hate it's it. pretty it's pretty easy to put in stop gaps to get to cards that are real problems for mono black like if bant just like, shows up like with a bunch what? of devout decrees
0: What could possibly be to spawn a mayhem, Brian? Turns out there
1: is still efficient removal available if you want it. And if we start seeing a bunch of glass caskets, I mean, probably the correct decision because you do have Ugin is to go with something like just Devout Degree in the sideboard. And once that happens, I think it's going to be tough for Mono Black to really keep up it's Assault on the format. It's one of those decks that has to pick its spots carefully. Week one seems like a great spot for a deck built in exactly the fashion that Witch did so. But as time goes on, I think they will have to reconsider the no disruption approach. And when that happens, they become even more vulnerable to removal spells, and it all just kind of snowballs really hard on them from there.
0: Yeah, it becomes much different when your deck slows down and you are forced to like interact on a bunch of different axes and stuff. Whereas right now it's very much just like, you know, tap out giant monster. It's like gruel, but in mono black form, it's kind of gas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Mono black is so interesting. I spent some time looking at vampires decks actually for my article this week. And boy are the two drops for mono black in standard. Yeah. Do Do you know what the best two drop vampire is in standard? Cruel celebrant. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of part of my engine, so I wasn't really thinking about that, but I also had to play blood burglar, which if you don't remember that one, it does almost nothing. It's laughable. Uh, two, two on your turn. It has lifelink
0: blood burglar.
1: That's what I was able to come up with.
0: That doesn't even sound like a real card. It It sounds like a jumpstart card or something. I don't know.
1: Vampires are not deep, but Sorin is still out there. Basically, I was trying to make Vito work and doing a bunch yeah. of stuff with that. And Vito plays very well with Sorin and then there's Elspeth, and it was a whole journey and didn't really yield any fruit. Dude, uh, but not, not
0: going to lie, I forgot Soren existed.
1: I know. That's, that's basically what happened to me, too. And I'm like, well, what vampires are there? And Vito was the one that has me going down that train, but- the support is not good for the vampire tribe in standard right now. You would really, as much as the vampires used to bank on Soren, you'd be banking about ten times harder these days.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awkward. Good old, good old blood burglarist. Don't don't believe that that's a card. Oh, it's real. All right. So after this discussion, I have some homework, and I have three things that I basically was not sure about. That I need to actually work on. One was your claim that Archfiend's vessel was not that good. Skeptical Go for it.
1: I'm skeptical. Go for it. Hasn't impressed thus far.
0: Okay. Uh the other one was trying to get is it to a spot where it makes sense? And after talking about it and thinking about it, I think like the infuriates and the Samet sprints, it makes sense, but I wonder if there's a way to get even more aggressive past that. Hmm. Because that deck had, like, a Baron and a Sea Dasher Octopus. Like, obviously, there are a bunch of flex slots, you know? So I'm curious to see if we can find a way to go a little bit harder. And then Uh, I'm just
1: thinking about the most aggressive options in those colors, like, low on the curve, and they're not that impressive. That's the whole problem, is one drops and two drops are just not what they were previously.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like, finding a Goblin Guide or playing Terramander or whatever, but... Just like the, the move of incorporating infuriate, for example, is like, okay, this, this actually speeds you up. Like what, you know, what if you play like a couple copies of fling or something, right? Like Mm. that, that could potentially do it.
1: Okay. That's a cool approach.
0: Uh, and then just generally working on Simic flash because it has a bunch of cards I like.
1: Yeah. I think if I had to prepare for a tournament this weekend, I, I really like how Simic flash is set up a lot of good stuff that deck is doing. I might advise people who can tolerate it to play Bant just because I think the power level really eclipses everything else in the format. Uh, But for me, I I think something like Simic would be the correct choice.
0: Word. So question of the week. Is it time? Question of the
1: week. It's time.
0: We sort of talked about this already, but I, I think that it bears like a much larger discussion just outside of the scope of the format itself. So the question this week comes from Squirrel Master and they ask, was putting Ugin in M twenty one a mistake?
1: I'm still going with no on this. Like like I mentioned during our previous discussion, I think that this is a good target for the format to have. If you know this is the limitation on your end game, so be it. You can plan around that in a lot of ways, and we're seeing people do that with things like Stone Coil Serpent, uh, other colorless threats. It's just too easy to make it happen right now, and everything's kind of easy to make happen. Like anything you want to ramp to it is trivially easy to ramp to. And that is the larger problem that if it, w- if it wasn't Ugin, it's something else. It can just be giant hydroid crises, or, you know, agent of treachery before it was Ugin. So there's always going to be something to ramp to. And until I know, what a less robust ramp suite looks like. I'm not going to assign a lion's share of the blame to the payoff. I'm going to assign the blame to the enablers. And I I think that's just the way to go in this scenario. Oftentimes in magic, that's not the way to go. Like it's worked in the other way as well, but here it just feels like Ugin is such a clear target. And especially after Teferi rotates and like, there's meaningful ways to really beat up someone spending eight mana for a planeswalker. Then I'm going to get even more into the idea that you can, can be a good villain for the format. Now, Elspeth staying around, uh, Elspeth Conquers Death in conjunction with things like Teferi as a very reliable discard outlet. It gives me a little pause. Like I wonder how much cheating of Ugin onto the battlefield is going to continue to be a thing throughout the entirety of its lifespan and standard. But hopefully we just get to a place of more interactive magic where you can actually justify the idea of disenchanting, maybe not specifically disenchant, but something along those lines, and Elspeth conquers death before it goes off.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are things like Gem Racer and Scavenging Ooze that you don't hate to put in your deck that can kind of take care of that, but it's also not really a constraint that we've had to think about in the context of Standard lately, and... I mean, like Cat Oven has just sort of dominated the standard for like the last year, right? And a lot of that was due to there not being enough good incidental graveyard hate. So if that does become a thing, I will be a little frustrated by it. Sure. But from a design perspective, something is always going to be the best and... Sometimes that thing is like Hydro Crisis, where it's very annoying, it's frustrating, it is, it's difficult to deal with and interact with, but ultimately it ends up being fine in the context of the format, and a lot of that has to do with like the rest of the format kind of passing it by in power level or speed, mm-hmm. and right now... Especially since there hasn't been a lot of great aggro cards, there's been a lot of mid range soup style of decks, which Ugin mostly punishes. And I like the fact that it exists to bring things back more to a rock, paper, scissors setup. So maybe Ugin, literal Ugin, isn't the best choice for that. Maybe they could have come up with something similar, maybe that's not as oppressive or whatever. And I would have been fine with that. But it's beneficial to like get cards reprinted too. And Ugin is something specific where it's like, you know, can you just drop this in Zendikar? Like, I don't know what the story is, you know, does it make sense? Whatever. Like just jamming it into a random core set makes a lot of sense. So even if Ugin in the last portion of this standard format is a little oppressive, like, well, it's different than what we've been doing and maybe things will be different. Once rotation happens. So all in all, like it's maybe going to be frustrating, but certainly once spiral and grazer leave, it gets a lot easier, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I'm not going to try and sell you on this being one of my favorite formats. I think most of the problems that existed in standard prior to the release, of course, at 2021 are still there. In some cases they may have even been amplified. And Without a just baseline structural change to the games we were playing with like a huge set of bands, like eight card bands, like I talked about. There wasn't going to be enough in this set to really turn things on its head. But at the same time, I can see a future that is just a few aggressive pieces away from having like a good rock, scissors, rock paper, scissors set up like you mentioned. Yeah. And, as long as there is some aggression and we're going back to Zendikar and it's hard to read sets like that. Like obviously the first Zendikar was one of the most aggressive draft formats of all time. Uh, Landfall kind of enabled that idea. If we get something headed in that direction again, then I have hope for pulling out of a little bit of a nosedive and getting a really nice format upon rotation.
0: Uh, the, the return to Zendikar, they, they, they recognize that that was an issue like landfall plus two, plus two or whatever. They uh-huh. they definitely did not want to do that again. And I doubt.
1: Dude, I played landfall at the battle for Zendikar pro tour.
0: Sure. I, I mean, a lot of people on our team played that deck too. It was fun. They fixed a lot of the issues, right? Like the step links being a four power one drop or whatever. <laughs> like that's, that's a bit right. too much. Yeah. But yeah, it's weird because I feel like they would not make the steplinks mistake again, but also we've been in a spot that has had just a general devoid of aggro decks or like aggro mm-hmm. cards. So I don't know. I mean, if I, I don't think it's going to happen on accident, I think it will be a very conscious decision. If there are things that are like, you know, steplinks, but slightly worse is like what I would expect if they wanted to actually return to aggro, but also like, that's, that's just like not great magic. It's just like having a thing just be like, a brick three, off the top. 3-3 three, three can't block or whatever. It's like that. that's not great.
1: It's not. I do think there's a lot of space for bodies just in sheer numbers to be better than they are presently given the oh, strength yeah. of everything oh, yeah. else. Like I think you can put some very strong creatures into this environment and have the environment be better for it. Like just a two drop that's a ball of stats – might not even move the needle whatsoever in this present format. We need we need
0: ones and we need either good monocolored rewards or good dual lands.
1: Good lands. Yeah, that's a big part of the equation too. So there's a path forward and I'm optimistic we will get to follow that path as we get the next set.
0: Me too. Should have banned eight cards, but what are you going to do? We got, we got Ugin instead and more ramp for some reason. And this is different than what standard has been for like the last nine months and there are like some some cool cards to play with so you get to do things like is it and mono black and maybe those aren't the optimal things to be doing but at least you have options
1: love me a tier two deck
0: 1.5 1.5
1: okay that's what we'll shoot for
0: all right last game <laughs>
1: Good luck.